every day, it seems to me at least, we are viewing the destructive evidence of uncontrolled anger in our society. Well, let me hasten to say that the truth is anger is a natural and legitimate emotion. Every one of us gets angry at some point. But the greatest blessings for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord is learning how to channel that anger. Therefore, instead of being ashamed of anger, ask the Lord, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me use this righteous anger for your glory. And since responding to anger is a learned behavior, we need to know how to train our children at a very early age how to deal with anger and how to channel anger. I even like people who really have a sense of humor and dealing with anger. I heard about this wife who said, uh, when my husband and I disagree, uh, it doesn't last long. We patch things up very quickly, including his nose, his jaw, (laughs) and his head. (laughs) Or it's like this nine-year-old kid who asked his dad, he said, Dad, how do wars start? And the father said, well, take uh, First World War, for example. It started when um, Germany invaded Belgium, upon which his wife piped up. She said, tell the boy the truth. It, was started because, it started because somebody was murdered. And so, with an air of superiority, he said, am I answering the question or are you? Well, the wife left the room in a huff. She slammed the door as hard as she could. And finally, when the dishes in the cupboards stopped rattling, the uneasy silence was broken when the boy said to his dad, don't worry about it, Dad. You don't have to tell me how wars start. I know now. (laughs) (laughs) Most of you know that mishandling anger has killed untold number of people, destroyed many a home, ruined great careers, ruined friendships, put an end to some ministries. It has blocked many a blessing and answers to prayer. Anger shattered many dreams and hopes. But that's not all. Mishandling anger results in endangering of one's health and bitterness and unresolved conflict. On the other hand, I want you to listen carefully, please. This is important because that seemed to be the thing in America, particularly among Christians. On the other hand, unexpressed anger can turn inward and causes depression. As a matter of fact, I've been reading some statistics about how this anger turned inward caused a lot of depression in our culture. The best of statistics have said that 23% of Americans openly express anger. 39% bottle it up. 23% walk away from the situation. 17% admit it to destruction of properties. Now, if you analyze anger, like I have through the years, (laughs) you will discover that it begins with a frustration. That's how it begins. Frustration about 
all sorts of things in life. I mean, we face them every day, right? We face frustrations, and uh, whether it be traffic jam or, <laughs> or dealing with difficult children or inability to deal with life's obligations and, and all of these things that we face every single day, every single day we face frustrations. If they're not dealt with biblically, if they're not dealt with spiritually, they're going to lead to the second stage, and that is wanting to lash out, either verbally or even physically. I see it on the road all the time. I mean, I am surprised at the sign language that people use when they're driving, you know, <laughs> hand gestures. And, and so I think they're waving at me, and I wave back. <laughs> I hear some parents really lashing out at the empires in the sport arena. Those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like that coach of a little league. This coach brought one of his players, and he was speaking to him like a father speaking to a son. He said, son, do you understand what team work is? And the boy nodded. He said, yes, sir. Do you understand that what matters is that we win together as a team? The boy again nodded his head. He said, yes, sir. And so, when a strike is called, or you are at at first, you don't argue or curse or attack the umpire. Do you understand this, son? Boy nodded his head again and said, yes, sir. And the coach said, good. Now go and explain this to your mother. <laughs> Frustration leads to lashing out, and lashing out leads to loss of control. Sometimes, I think, loss of sanity in some cases. And loss of control can give way to the fourth stage, which is violence, which we are seeing in our society today. That is why I tell people, do not make excuses. Back in 1973, I went on my face before God, and I really did. I mean, I will never forget it to the day I die. One of those great experiences that you just, you know, landmarks in your life. I went before the Lord with face down, and I said to the Lord, I said, either you change me or rescind your call for me to preach. I cannot be a servant of the living God with this temper that I have. Well, back then I had a lot of charismatic friends. They told me about deliverance. You know what I'm talking about? That you can be delivered from whatever it is that you want to be delivered from that is not honoring to God. And I said, man, I love those guys. I love the thought. And I thought it means that God is going to zap me, and I am delivered. <laughs> and so that's what I was praying for. Zap me, Lord. Zap me, Lord. But alas, that was not the case. God said, I will answer your prayer, but you have to go through my training school. Ooh, I don't like school, do you? I said, oh man, I said, that's not what I had in mind. I was looking for a quick fix, but God was planning a training program. <laughs> I was hoping for a zap, <laughs> but God was planning some painful lessons along the way. He really was. Here's breaking news. Are you ready for it? Here's breaking news. I have not graduated yet. <laughs> I'm still in school. But I thank God I am not in the elementary stage where I was. 
When the day you hear that Michael Yusuf died and went to glory, you will know by that time I already received my diploma, that I already have graduated when I see Jesus face to face. But the reason why I have not graduated yet, it's not because I'm stupid and I keep flunking first grade, but it's because in God's school, He keeps on taking me into higher and higher and higher levels. And my beloved friends, please listen to me. This is the situation in which we find the great man of God, Moses, at this moment of his life. In the last message, we saw Moses reaching his highest height. It really is. In all of his career, in all of his ministry, in all of his life, he reached the highest height when he prayed for his slanderers, and he prayed that God would heal Miriam and Aaron, and God answered his prayer. You know, I I am just so grateful to the Holy Spirit, to God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, because I don't know what you hear from other people and other preachers. I want to tell you that the Word of God from Genesis 1-1 to the maps in the back of the book authored by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a book that's written by a bunch of men. No, no, no. It is authored by the Holy Spirit. He guided them. And that is why we call it the infallible Word of God. I am so grateful to God, the Holy Spirit, that He did not take these men and women of faith and wash them out and bleach them and, and starch them and iron them and then wrap them in beautiful cellophane papers. And, and then He put them on a display and says, now you be like this. I am so grateful to the Lord. I am so grateful. He says, oh, now you be like them. No, no, no. The opposite is true. God, the Holy Spirit, lets us see these great men and women of faith, warts and all. Why? So that we may be able not only to identify with them, but also to be encouraged by them. So we can say, if they overcame, we can overcome too. If they pulled life out of the jaw of death, so can we. If they received victory out of defeat, so can we. And Moses, too, could not graduate with his diploma, this side of heaven. He sought to overcome what we see in the Scripture as his Achilles heels, anger, and the expression of anger. But at the end, his earthly diploma, his earthly graduating certificate, eluded him. What was it? Entering into the land of promise and receiving that reward eluded him. Watching this very chapter in Moses' life, I pray to God, I pray to God, that is going to motivate each one of us, your pastor ahead of you, all of us, to ask God, please equip us to succeed, equip us to thrive. And yes, even if we go through the fiery furnace, we know you're going to go with us. Moses was described by God, not by man, but by God, as the meekest man on the face of the earth. And yet, he had a ferocious temper. He had a ferocious temper. A temper that when it flared, it controlled him. A temper that he could not get complete victory over. A temper that he could not 
take hold of it, but it took hold of him. Consequently, it kept him from the prize, conquering and entering the promised land. What about this anger of Moses? Wait, did it just happen at the age of 120? No. It was there all through his life. And here he is at the age of 120, he still has not overcome. And that is why Moses' anger cannot, 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 cannot be explained away as just getting an impatient at his old age. Moses' lingering anger began way, way, way back. Let me walk you through it very quickly. The first time that we see it, we know it about in the Scripture at least. We don't know before that. But in Exodus chapter 2, when an Egyptian slave driver was beating the Hebrews, Moses became angry. And the Bible said he looked to the right, and then he looked to the left, and he saw that nobody was watching. He killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, those of you who have good memories or good note-taking, either way is fine by me, maybe would say to me, Michael, Michael, but didn't you say that Moses was educated at the highest level? Didn't you tell us back then that Moses graduated summa cum laude out of Heliopolis University. It was not such university, I just made it up. <laughs> Didn't you say, yes, it's absolutely true. Listen to me. <laughs> don't ever forget, don't ever forget that 40% of Hitler's henchmen had PhDs. A secular-minded progressive elite refuses to understand that education alone does not civilize a man. Most of the ones, if not all of them, who the terrorists who attacked us on September 11, they were college graduates. Himirat, please. This misguided notions on the part of, of the elite, which said that you throw some education and terrorists would be civilized, and they would cease to be terrorists. That is a totally false notion. It's contrary to the truth. We are seeing and experiencing every single day through the leading the way ministry, terrorists, violent people, when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be converted to Christ by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ, they are transformed from being terrorists to being missionaries for Jesus. We see it every day. Every day. Go on Leading the Way website, and you see story after story. Only Jesus and the power of the cross and the resurrection can transform a person's life. All of the trillions of dollars that we are throwing at education will only produce educated barbarians. As long as we keep God out of our schools— as long as we keep God out of public life, as long as we keep God out, we are harming the next generation. Listen to me. I know and you know that I am educated at the highest level. And I can tell you this, I'm not a Yahoo who's kind of, you know, anti-intellectual. I am not. But education alone will not solve the social ills of our society. Anger and rage cannot be changed or even controlled by education. 
It is only when our life is controlled by Jesus Christ and the Word of God that life can be totally transformed. Now back to Moses. Just in case some of you said, well, wait a minute, you said that he was a highly educated man. How come he, after all of that education, he killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand? You see, after this first expression of anger and rage, Moses had to flee Egypt, end up in the land of Midian. But God had another plan for him. He brought him back to Egypt in order to deliver his people out of the slavery of Egypt. This time was going to be done God's way, not Moses' way. And then the second time you see Moses' anger flared, it's in Exodus chapter 11, verse 8. Between the ninth and the tenth, the Bible said in Exodus eleven eight, Moses left Pharaoh in hot anger. Did you get that? Moses have seen with his own eyes those nine miracles, those nine judgments over the gods of Egypt. Moses knew in his heart that God, and God told him so, that he's giving Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted, namely the hardness of the heart. Because don't ever forget when you hear the Bible said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was not after, it was only after Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And God said, I'll give you more of what you want. And he hardened his heart. And yet Moses was so consumed with rage. He was enraged at Pharaoh's stubbornness. Frederick Buchner wrote the following words. I want to read them to you. Please listen carefully. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun, F-U-N, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue over the prospect of, of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways. It is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that uh, when what you are woofing down is yourself, the skeleton at the feast is you. End of the quote. And so we look at Moses. This, the third time, we saw twice already, the third time we see that anger flares is when they were in the wilderness. They have gone into the wilderness, and God called Moses to go up to the mountain to meet with God. (laughs) I can't imagine a greater prayer meeting. Can you? I mean, that is a prayer meeting of prayer meetings. He is there with God, fellowshipping with God, in prayer to God, and God gives Moses the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. The most precious document any man could hold in his hands, these Ten Commandments. But when Moses gets down into the valley, and the tablets are in his hands, and he sees God's people dancing at the Egyptian god, a bull god of Apis, he smashed them in hot temper. As hot temper flare, he smashes those precious documents. Some of you might be saying, well, Michael, are you saying to me 
that I should not get angry. Read my lips. That is not what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, I believe that you and I need to get angry at the deception of our political leaders. You and I need to get angry when we see people that we love living destructive lives. You and I should be angry at professing Christians who deny the divinity of Christ and who deny the infallibility of the Word of God. You and I should get angry when the media propagates lies and distorts the truth and tries to manipulate our emotions. The question is not whether we get angry. It's the question is, what do we do with our anger? The Bible said, be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but sin not. Can you say that with me? Be angry, but sin not. How do I express righteous anger? Listen carefully. By being constructive, not destructive. By being a blessing, not a stumbling block. By bringing joy to others, not sorrow. And trust me when I tell you, I know the difference between the two. Now fast forward about 38 years from the breaking of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Fast forward. And here you see the terrible rage in Moses at the age of 120. At this point of time, the people of God were literally at the edge of the land of promise that God promised Abraham 400 years earlier. They are at the edge of it. They have been wandering around for 38 years in the wilderness. The older, unbelieving generation died off, and they were buried in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua, who said, we can take it. Yahweh is greater than these giants. But sadly, the older generation must have taught the new generation how to gripe and murmur and complain and whine and feel sorry for themselves, because that's what they've done here. So they took their bitter complaint and turned on Moses about needing water. Once again, Moses cries to the Lord. Now, turn your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verse 8. I want to show you what God said to Moses. He said, Take your rod and your brother Aaron and assemble the congregation and speak to the rock. And before your eyes, you're going to see that's going to yield water. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, okay? <laughs> what does Moses do? He does exactly what God said, right? No. Verse 11. Moses lifted up his hand with the rod in it, and he whacked that rock twice. Not just once, twice. And don't miss this part, and the water gushed forth abundantly. I'm going to explain that in a minute. It will bless your socks, even if you're not wearing one. <laughs> and the community drank, and their cattle also. See, secular psychologists would have a, a heyday with this. Ah, they would have explained it this way. 
Well, Moses was merely getting exasperated with the people. Moses was tired of the complaining and whining, and who can blame him? Moses was getting tired of waiting, and all of that is a natural uh, way to express one's feeling. It cannot be helped under the circumstances, surely you understand. After all, Moses' self-esteem has been bruised. Uh, Moses' upbringing was in a dysfunctional family, and that led him to do this, and on and on and on and on. Here's the good news. God is not impressed by this psychobabble. He was not. Look at verse 10. I want you to judge for yourself. Underline it in your Bible. It's very important. In fact, there's one word there, we. It's very important. Verse 10. Listen, you rebellious people. Shall we... Oh, good Lord, what's that we? We bring forth water to you out of the rock. Now, if you're like me, who are only conscious of my own weaknesses and my own failure, I want to ask this precious man of God, Moses, when were you able to do anything without the power of Yahweh? Isn't God the one who bring water out of that rock. But here's a fact. Listen carefully. I'm getting close to the end. This is important. When you are given to rage, it's because you feel victimized. Are you with me? Victimization is always at the heart of anger, whichever way it expresses itself. Victimization is at the heart of anger. So I want to conclude by focusing on God. Because that's really the focus. We know we can identify with other people's failure. We can sympathize. We can do all that. But then when you get back to God and you look at God, (laughs) that's where the blessing is. Moses whacked the rock twice, right? He didn't speak to it like God told him to. At that moment, God could have said, Sorry, Moses, my buddy. There is no water. No water for you, Moses. But the God of grace, even though he was disobedient, gave them water. Beloved, why do you think it's called amazing grace? That's why it's called amazing grace. God in his goodness and in his grace, he forgave Moses. Ah, But the bitter scar, the bitter scar of that lingering anger, it meant that he will not possess the promised land. Be very careful. Be very careful to miss out on the blessing. He stood there on Mount Nebor, and he looked down and he saw, it's one of the most beautiful sights, the promised land. And God said, sorry, Moses. You're not going to get in there. You're not going to possess it. All that he lived for, all his life, all that he dreamed about, God said, I'll forgive you, but the scars will linger. You know, I get goosebumps every time. My memory goes back to the day, the first time my wife and I stood where Moses stood. We were visiting Jordan, our first visit to Jordan. And dear friends took us there. 
and we stood in Matania. There's a church built right nearby, and we stood in that hallowed ground. Every time I think about it, I get goosebumps, although that many years ago. Looked over the promised land. Of course, when things didn't develop, but still, with all the development, you can still, as far as the eye can see, it's the most magnificent sight. This is your prize. Beloved, I never miss the opportunity to testify to you about the power of God that has and is changing me. And I know that's a testimony of thousands of you. I know that. The question is, will you ask Him to empower you to overcome and to break the chains, whatever they may be, and what they are to you, not the person next to you, and not to the other person, somebody else, even a member of your own family. And he will. He will. I know experientially, and many of you know too, that God will give you the power and the strength to overcome whatever it is you're struggling with. Amen? All he wants to hear from you are the words of the centurion, when he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Say that prayer with me. I believe, help my unbelief. Say it with me. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord Jesus, how gracious you are, how kind, how patient, how loving. And Lord, I will, to the day I die, I'm going to testify to your power and your perseverance, and your patience. And Lord, it's not the perseverance of saints that Calvin got it wrong. It's the perseverance of God. God, you are the persevering one with us, and we thank you and we praise you that you said, those whom the Father has given me, I will lose none. Not us, but you, God, and we praise you, adore you, and worship you, and I pray for every brother and sister that deliverance from heaven be ordered. And Father God, whatever school you're going to start taking us through, I pray that you do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org. 